Well, it's good to be with you this morning. What a joy to get to gather together, uh, be together to worship his holy name, for he is worthy of our praise, worthy of our lives, worthy of the first fruits of our week as we uh, commit Sunday morning to starting a new day, a new week to, to gather, to be together corporately, to unite our voices, to come together with a desire to hear his holy word and uh, to know him more, to be sanctified and refined with the work of the Holy Spirit, um, growing together. Uh, if we have not had the chance to meet, my name is Joshua Kirsten. I'm the preaching pastor here at Disciples Church. It's a joy to have you with us today. If you grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of James, continue our sermon series today through this wonderful letter that we're, uh, we're calling Faith at Work. We're in chapter 5, and I'll be preaching on verse 9 today, and only verse 9. Let's read it first, and then we'll break it down. James chapter 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. While this verse reads simple and straightforward, there is much here to understand and grow in. In these latter parts of James' letter here in chapter 5, he's bringing straightforward teaching on a number of different topics, um, helping us understand and grow um, as he wraps up his letter. His aim throughout the letter is that true saving faith in Jesus Christ goes to work. It, it works. It, it, it operates. It doesn't just sit. It doesn't just happen and then sit idly. It, it matures. It, it endures. He's not saying that it's perfect, that our faith is, is perfect for our battleable flesh, with our flesh can produce moments or days or even seasons of sinful words or actions. But true faith will repent. It will repent and call sin, sin, and long to honor God with our words and our actions and our lives. Uh, it will move forth in a desire not, not to live in pride or in self-preservation. True faith's aim is to glorify God, is to die to self and live for Christ. To practice words and ways that honor Him. So James continues here in verse 9 with a, a straightforward imperative and following warning. And this comes on the heels of James calling his listeners to be patient. It's what we studied last week in verse 7 and 8. To establish our hearts in Jesus for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's a joy to hear many varieties of feedback from you about what God is doing through his word in your life. And especially this, this last week through the sermon, the fruit of that time. May it continue to be so as we look to be faithful to his word and to him. So let's dig in today. Let's see what the Lord has for us today in verse 9. Uh, by focusing first on this direct imperative here at the front of this verse, do not grumble. Let's start by asking, what is grumbling? Uh, the word grumble, the Greek word stenazo, is, means to groan or complain in a muted way. It's a, a grumbling. It's a disappointment. It's a dissatisfaction for something or someone expressed in a way that, that's muted or under one's breath. It's not screaming out and boldly expressed bitterness. It's a deep felt dissatisfaction that, that brews into your attitude, into your words in a passive aggressive way. Now, the scriptures speak of different layers of groaning or grumbling. Some are connected to the reality that this temporary world will never satisfy us. And our longing for Jesus and his eternal kingdom is good. 
We see this in verses like Romans chapter 8, 23 and 24. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-4, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put away our heavenly dwelling. I'm sorry, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The groaning or the grumbling that this speaks of is a a dissatisfaction in the temporary because we are only truly satisfied in God, in the eternal. Our right response is, to our natural fleshly groaning is endurance. Faith at work in the reality of this dissatisfaction for the temporary means endurance. It will mean patience. That's our faith at work as we spoke of last week. It's faith in what is still to come. This is what James just finished charging his hearers to do in 7 and 8. This was the kind of groaning that that the Israelites had in their slavery in Egypt. God heard their cries and in his time freed them from slavery unto the promised land. Exodus 2.23 During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. This helps us see a connection between verse 9 and where we just ended in verse 8 here in chapter 5 of James. Many of God's people were experiencing oppression as James is writing to those who are dispersed, those who are believers but are dispersed. Um, They're experiencing oppression and injustice in their dispersion, hardship by others, and many of the things that we might be experiencing as modern day believers and the reality, this is not our home. We are exiles in this time and place, belong to another kingdom by the grace of God and the blood of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. James just got done encouraging them to be patient for the deliverance of the Lord is coming. The groaning James is referring to here is when our natural dissatisfaction turns to, to a sinful whining. When, when we resort to a negative frustration or a fed-upness with a situation that equals a very sinful attitude of impatience or bitterness, especially towards God and others. So James is emphasizing that faith at work in our lives should mean that while it is hard, We might be feeling the weight of the struggle of this life. We need to fight or put away our natural tendency for sinful grumbling to be practiced, especially as it relates to grumbling against one another, is his emphasis. So let me just ask you, do a little inventory for yourself. Are you one who often grumbles and groans finding ways to complain that things are not the way you want them to be constantly finding something to pick at while there is a righteous dissatisfaction for the temporary in light of the eternal for the created in light of the creator we need to be so mindful of these things that a righteous patience on the Lord and his will 
and his timing for our deliverance doesn't turn into bitterness or sinful groaning, especially against each other, which is James' emphasis here. Look with me. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. When you see reference to one another, especially in the New Testament, it's usually a reference to the redeemed, to the saved in Jesus Christ, the family of God. We have further evidence that that's who James is referring to here because he qualifies it by saying, brothers, by God's grace, he has saved us into his eternal family. A term we very affectionately use here at Disciples Church is that we are blood-bought brothers and sisters. In our society, we have a lot of priority and interest and investment into our family, our blood family, our heritage, our parents, our siblings, our aunts and uncles, our grandparents, our children and great-grandchildren. And yet there can be a cling to that blood family that misses the beauty and the greater reality of the eternal family, the blood-bought family. For much of your blood family might be God's very means in your life for a testimony or hardship or equipping, and yet ultimately the goal and our greatest affection should be for our blood-bought family. Many of you have grown to discover what it's like to be part of God's blood-bought family, the Blood-bought meaning that by Jesus' blood alone, he's purchased us, he's ransomed us, redeemed us. And that you're discovering, you're beginning to discover what it's like to be part of the body of Christ and part of a local church that really loves each other and fights for each other and practices the one another's as God instructs us according to Scripture and doesn't stay satisfied with a surfacey, inauthentic thing that's more connected to religion and attendance, but digs in and longs to honor God in these things and enjoy what we've been restored to in his eternal family. God, by his grace, has saved us, church, into his eternal family. He did this while we were actively his enemies. It might be one thing to adopt a sweet little baby girl or boy into your family. It'd be another thing to say, we're going to adopt our greatest enemy. We're going to be part of our family. I want you to see the, the power and the depth of God's grace to overcome our, our sin, our, what we deserve to make us new, to give us new birth gave us spiritual new birth and caused us to see his goodness and his glory. He restored us to a right relationship with him because of what Christ did on our behalf. If you're here today and you have not truly confessed your sin before the holy God, admitted who you are in your sin, and trusted your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray you do. I pray you see the sweetness of amazing grace and God gives you in His sovereign will ears to hear and eyes to see that you would be reconciled to Him, that you would be so joyful to know this good news and what God has done that you want to die to yourself, the lordship of your own life, to live for Him, that Jesus would be Lord of your life, that you would live for Him the rest of your days. That you would see in this that nothing you have done or do is good enough. Everything truly good you do from that day forward of belief would be utterly dependent on Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus, our, our hope in Him alone. A wonderful secondary benefit of new life in Christ, of being forgiven of our sins and restored to the family of God, is just that, a restoration to a group of people. 
other people who were also once spiritual orphans and wicked sinners. Others who God has brought near by grace, the eternal family of God. When sin entered the world, man was separated from God and we and separated from each other. Hid and, and judgment began and all the outworkings of sin early in our testimony of mankind and sin blood family murdered each other cheated each other and on and on but in Christ we who belong to him are being renewed in our affections for each other our disposition towards each other. And we are restored to a unity that we never had outside of Christ. Listen how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 12, 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I pray that growingly, you're not looking for the church to be like you. That you actually enjoy a church family that you're going to be part of that is very different than you. Very diverse. And gifted with different things and passionate about different things. Because it's in that diversity in our united diversity, that, that there is this greater beautiful message to a watching world. That it's not about uniformity. But look at what God has done and doing to bring us together in a real, true, authentic, and lasting unity in our diversity. Members of one another, part of the body of Christ. There is a vital way our faith is at work in how we interact with the family of God. And that's a big part of what James is focusing on here. The one another's are a, a very critical list of biblical commands that the church is given to live out, to practice as an essential part of our testimony and fight to grow in and honor Christ. Some of the most popular and most important we see mentioned in Scripture are love one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Admonish one another forgiving each other, confessing your sins to each other, pray for each other. Here at Disciples Church, we really long to practice all of these well. That we don't have favorites, like we really like the loved one, and we really like the encouraged one, but we really love the admonished one. We really love the authenticity of really confessing sins to one another and knowing each other and delving in together and growing together. These are evidences of the true unity we have in Christ. That we're not like the world anymore. That we get to, we get to trust each other and put down our mask and, and mature and grow and help each other along. Along with these and many others I didn't mention, the one another's, there's also, some don't do's. There's a big list of do's, which I just read. But on the list of don't do's and the one another's is this one today. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. One of the major reasons why we are to not grumble against each other is it defames the testimony of the gospel that is most poignantly portrayed to the watching world in our unity in Christ. This was Jesus' most specific prayer to God the Father before being arrested and killed. I often 
look at this prayer in John 17 in some ways like if you were with someone that you really loved and in, on their deathbed, in that last hour, they had something really important they wanted to tell you. You would listen with, with an extra lean and capture what's being said there. I think in many ways these words in this prayer to God the Father in John 17 is that. So may we lean in all the more. I I do not ask for these only, he says, verse 20, John 17, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. The unity that we have, that the world sees, is not our ability to be closer or more similar or without differences. It's not the perfect team that doesn't have any flaws on the field and how they play the game. It is God in and through us in a way that the world sees it and goes, that is wonderfully different. The selfless love that God's love through us means for each other Radical obedience to his word, a pursuit of holiness, the humility that we long to have and live out. The practice of repentance. The things that God is doing in and through us, each of us, and therefore in us together. In a way that no other organization or relationship or family gets to testify of. Why? Because God is the key to it. It's a huge part of our testimony, church, to a watching world. It is a way that we truly put God and the gospel on display. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Why would they believe that God sent Jesus to save and transform a people? Because they see the transformation from being ruled by sin and selfishness that created great disunity and distance and judgment and deceit and mask and gossip and grumbling. They see those things being put away. They say unity in us, love, selfless love, the love of God at work in us in a way that's not at work in the world. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. God wants the world to see it in our lives. Now let me be really clear. The gospel must be preached So we can't just say, I'm just going to live it out. No, no, there must be testimony, speaking of the gospel, preaching of the word, proclamation of the reality of sin, death and sin, and the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God the Son, who came to save his people, Uh, a a call for repentance and belief. Those words must be said. The, The scripture is clear. But but that's just not the focus here. There's another element of the witness of our testimony that's in play. James is focused on what the world would see in us. In the midst of oppression, in the midst of persecution, that our patience would endure and we would not turn to grumbling. 
especially that would affect our unity. Grumbling, especially against one another, brothers. So let me ask you, how is this at work in you? In your relationships with others in the body of Christ? Is there true unity and selfless love and honor for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Not just the ones you like, but maybe the ones that you don't as naturally care for as much. How is, how is this at work in your marriages? If you're both saved, the testimony of unity that's to be there. How is it at work among your children who are saved? With your co-workers who are saved? All a part of the body of Christ. This is what makes our blood-bought family so much more central than any other group or family that you're a part of. Because you may deeply love your parents or your siblings, but at the end of the day, you grow up, you become an adult, you move out, you start your own family maybe. You take some of the strengths of your family and you effort to put away the weaknesses. But your blood family is a means of God that He uses to raise and shape us, help us, but it's not the end game. The name that you bear that's most important is not your last name. It's the name of Christ. The name of Jesus. There's a unity in God that is at the very core of who we are in Christ. Now, do you always feel this way about your saved brothers and sisters in Christ? No. No. Why? Because of sin. Because we're still at work with our flesh. We, we all too often let situations or feelings or whatever define and tear apart and create hurt, hardship, judgment, grudges, grumbling. But we must fight for each other. Confess sin, repent, and forgive, and endure. To, to look out not just for ourselves, but for each other. To look to outdo each other in showing honor. Why? Because of Christ in us and at work in us. He wants us to, to practice these things as a testimony of who we are in Him and the family we're part of. The evidence of Christ at work in us, giving us a satisfaction in Him that fuels our selfless love for one another. This is why we are to mature in Christ, fight sin, abide in Him, as we spoke of last week. Because there is so much on the line that is more than just your church attendance or your enjoyment of your days. Are you guilty of being too concerned with how your life is going? In Christ, your concern need not be for the temporary, but Him who is eternal. Concern about the name of Jesus, the testimony of the gospel, the making of disciples, the priorities God has given us to live out. can't let trivial things separate us. Petty differences cause real division and dissension and grumbling. We must practice the one another's. Got something against your brother, they, you know they have something against you. We don't beat around the bush and take forever to sit down. We pick up the phone and we call. I love you brother, I love you sister. I'm perceiving this, can we talk about it? have this feeling, but I want to give you the benefit of the doubt. Can we talk about it? Oh, man, I didn't understand. That's the way. I understand it better. I love you. We're good. 
Or that person gets a chance to say, I messed up. You're right, I messed up. I apologize. Forgive me. Give them a chance to repent. Awesome, great, let's grow together. Superficial unity isn't worth a thing in what God wants us to be and to do for His namesake. It must be genuine. Romans 12, 9 and 10, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I don't have time to exegete that passage, but oh, there's so much depth there. That brotherly affection there, you study the Greek word there, it's, it, it, it's not a surfacey thing. It's like it's the guts thing. That, that, that deep guts affection to have for people I deeply care about. Church, hear me. It's not for us. It's for them. All that we need, we have found in God. I don't need you to perform to make me happy. My joy and my identity is in Christ. This allows selfless love and patience to reign in our lives and not sinful grumbling and selfish priorities. We live out the oneness God gave us in Christ for His name, for His glory, for the gospel testimony, which is the very reason why we're still here today. Please fight the flesh that causes you to want to pull back. Not trust each other. To gossip about each other. To walk away. Not to lean in and do the hard work. Don't ever let it become about you. Let's not even let it become about us. Let's let it be about Him. It's all about Him. This is why we need to see the weight behind James' word. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. James doesn't stop here. He he loves his hearers enough to point out not just the horizontal influence we have, the consequences that come from our disunity in the practice of grumbling. No, he wants to speak about how it affects the eternal too. Look with me at the rest of the verse. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Let's deal with that part first. James gives a very simple but powerful motivation for avoiding bitter grumbling against others, which is avoiding being judged for mismanagement of what God has entrusted to you. Similar charge that Jesus gave in Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you not be judged. There is an avoidance of judgment the Scriptures consistently speak of in the New Testament. A type of doing or speaking that brings with it a type of judgment that we don't want when we stand before God. Paul makes this same emphasis. I could give you examples upon example, but let me give you another. Philippians 2, 14-16, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. that those who did not trust Jesus as Savior and Lord will be judged and rightly condemned to eternal punishment for their sins. The Bible is clear about that. 
But that's not the kind of judgment these verses I just read are speaking of. It is not judgment for sin, as if we can be in Christ, covered for all of our sin, past, present, and future, and then somehow out of Christ, not covered perfectly by his sin and substitutional atonement on our behalf. You might prove to have never been in Christ, but if truly saved, your faith will go to work, it will endure to the end, you are in Christ, you are forgiven for your sins. You have an advocate in Jesus you are not at risk of a judgment that would then throw you into hell. It's not speaking of that kind of judgment. I want to be really clear. Those who are saved by the blood of Jesus are no longer under condemnation, for we stand in the righteous perfection of Christ. It is finished. Not it is finished, but then you have to live rightly so that you don't end up back in judgment for your sin. It's not how it works. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's good news. But that's not the judgment we're talking about in these passages. There is a judgment that we will face as Christians. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Listen carefully to this one with me. 1 Corinthians 13.15 through, 13 through 15 I said that all wrong. 1 Corinthians 3.13-15 Each one's work will become manifest for the day, day of judgment, capital D. For the day will disclose it. I don't have time to get into it today, church, but every detail, every thought, every secret will be brought into light in the time of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. While salvation is not in jeopardy for the believer, the true believer, the rewards of eternity are based on how we stewarded what God entrusted us to in our days, since our salvation, with our lives, the lives we live for him. Again, let me be clear. I'm going to say it one more time. For the saved, this is not a judgment on people's sins. Your sins are paid for by Christ's perfect work. It is a judgment on what you did with what you were entrusted. It is the rewards we will enjoy for eternity that are on the line. It is the opportunity for us to hear from our Lord those most precious words. Well done, good and faithful Servant. I don't think these are words that everyone will hear. I don't think Jesus gives out participation trophies. The scriptures are clear that we can store up treasure in heaven. And we will be rewarded for what we did with our lives, for what we did with the gospel. Jonathan Edwards said it this way in a sermon he preached in 1740. There are different degrees of happiness and glory in heaven. There are degrees among the angels, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. So there are degrees among the saints. In heaven there are many mansions and different degrees of dignity. The glory of the saints will be in some proportion to their embassy and holiness and good works here. Christ will reward all who, according to their works. He that gained ten pounds was made ruler over ten cities. He that gained five over five cities. Luke 19, 
2 Corinthians 9.6 He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Apostle Paul tells us that as one star differs from another star in glory, so also it shall be in the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15.41 Christ tells us that he who gives a cup of cold water unto a disciple in the name of the disciple of a disciple shall in no wise lose his reward. But this could not be true if a person should have no greater reward for doing many good works than if he did but a few. Here's an important clarity. It will be no damp on the happiness. I'm still reading this Jonathan Edwards quote. It will be no damp on the happiness of those who have lower degrees of happiness and glory, that there are others advanced in glory above them. For all shall be perfectly happy. Everyone shall be perfectly satisfied. Every vessel that is cast into the ocean of happiness is full, though there are some vessels far larger than others. And there shall be no such thing as envy in heaven, in case you're wondering. But perfect love shall reign through the whole society. Praise God. End quote. This is good news, that all will be satisfied in God, but it still shows that God has called us to be great stewards of our days for His glory and purposes for the rewards He will give us in eternal glory. Church, this is no light or momentary thing to consider. The decisions we make in the here and now echo in eternity. They do affect what we are entrusted with for eternity. Ecclesiastes 12.14 For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Clearly, according to this verse in Ecclesiastes, there will be an account given by believers for apart from faith you can do you cannot do anything good. Apart from faith. You must have faith to do what is good and honors God. Therefore, if deeds are brought into judgment, even good deeds, then believers will give an account, for only believers are capable of good deeds. This is also clear in the passage that every secret thing will be brought into judgment. For those who say, I am saved, so it doesn't matter what I do. Yes, you may be saved by God's grace, but it is because you bear the name of Jesus that it matters most. It really matters what you do with what God has called you to and has entrusted to you. So I ask you, do you have money that God has entrusted to you? What are you doing with it for His glory and His eternal purposes? Do you have sickness? How are you stewarding it for His glory and His eternal namesake? Do you have kids? How are you raising them for His glory? Do you have a job? How are you working it for God's glory? Are you a minor who lives under the authority of your parents? How are you honoring them for God's glory? What are you doing with this season of still being under the authority of your parents, teens? High call in your life is to honor your parents, to not be right in your own eyes, to not be led by your flesh. Are you married? How are you living out your roles that God's called you to? Sacrificially honoring your spouse for God's glory. Do you have injustices in your life that you're going through? How are you managing those circumstances for God's glory? Are 
all of this is a huge reminder. It's an opportunity to meditate on what God's given us here and to put it to work and to application that our faith would go to work. Oh, I pray you don't hear a sermon and go, that was great, like you digest a meal and then you moved on. But that it, the Word of God moves, it, it stirs, it convicts, it mobilizes you to really do business with these things. Our faith must be at work today. Today, not tomorrow. For we don't know if we'll be here tomorrow. If he entrusts us with tomorrow, then tomorrow. But we must tend to these things today. For the Lord has given us today. And the Lord is coming soon. This is James' next emphasis. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This is the flip of what we read in verse 8 last week. Jesus says the coming of the Lord is a great source of hope and patience in our hardships. Here, James is reminding his listeners, the Lord's return also means every one of us and every little thing will be put forth in judgment. So you, in your patience, it's back to my point last week, you don't get lazy in that. You don't say, hey, I'm going to do these other things and I'll get to that. No, 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 you deal with it today. You begin repentance, confession of sin, sanctification today. It's a loving reminder for us all that we are to be vigilant in sanctification, in practicing righteousness, that we are to be quick to serve the need to pray for our enemies, to outdo each other in showing honor, to work hard for making disciples and testifying the gospel, that we are to be regular in our practice of the one another's, for God has given us today and called us to be good stewards of it today by His providence and His plan. Hear James' call to us. Hear the way he says it. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It should call you to your feet. Behold, he says. Behold means to look closely at, intently at. He is at the door. Don't mess around. The judge is standing at the door. It is coming. Accountability for our lives is coming. The Lord of hosts is coming. Not one detail will escape his view. Every moment of every day will be considered. What did you do with the faith he so graciously gave you? How did you spend your days in your home, behind the computer, at work, with your children, in the church body, with his word? How did your faith go to work? Did you waste time with grumbling against your brother and sister? Did you get your eyes off the prize and start over-focusing on the temporary and start complaining about what's not going the way you don't like? Did you defame the gospel by grumbling against your brother and sister? Did you throw away your opportunity to testify Christ at work because you're grumbling against your brother and sister? Did you throw away your opportunity to disciple your children who are watching you by grumbling against your brother or sister who maybe is your spouse? Did you throw aside faith in God's perfect time and plan for you because you became tired of it not going your way? And so you begin to grumble against your brother and sister in Christ. Church, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? You're desperate for Christ. Our roots in Him.
May he be at work in and through us. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. The goodness, the gift of your holy word written in our language, printed in books that we can afford and get our hands on, that this would be a true great gift. One that we cherish not just for an hour on Sunday morning, but throughout our days, that we meditate on it day and night. I ask that the Holy Spirit would work mightily in each of us to show us what we've been missing, to bring conviction for sin that we've been pretty arrogantly or blindly walking in, that we would confess that sin, that we would take up a new course in light of the gospel, that is repentance, that we would seek each other for the sake of our unity and our testimony and forgive each other, give each other the benefit of the doubt, practice all of the one another's, and really do business with today for you've given us today and have not promised us tomorrow, for in many ways the day of judgment is near coming all so soon. May we be a people who takes these things oh so seriously that in no way when people look at the members of Disciples Church they see just religious people. No, they see, they see weird people. They, they see people who are not like the masses. No, these people are different. These people are serious. These people are humble. These people are hungry, bold in their testimony, serious about their eternal family, and obedient to God's word. Lord, more and more when they see us, let them see Jesus. Let them see the work of your holy hand upon us. You are a good God. We love you. Hear us as we respond in prayer and in song. In Jesus' name, amen.